Hi there, and welcome to Scale, a podcast for modern media. I'm your host, Stuart Ritchie, the founder and lead developer at Powered by Coffee. Powered by Coffee is a web and software development team focusing on technology issues facing the media today. Scale is a podcast about how technology impacts the media and how media impacts technology in return. Everything from ad tech and privacy to hosting and content management. We're interested in what's happening today, what's happening tomorrow, and where we might end up in the future. Welcome to our second episode. Make sure and check out the first if you haven't already. Today we are talking to Hannah Springett from HLabs. Hannah has a really interesting story about how she got started with her agency and that agency is really interesting to me. It's something that goes maybe a little against what you would expect as us being software developers where she uses no code platforms to help publishers achieve goals, whether that's data visualization or assets for some of their own clients. It's a great episode. Can't wait for you to hear it. So I'll shut up and let you listen. Today, our guest is Hannah Springett from HLabs. Um, HLabs is a strategic creative and design agency working primarily with uh, no-code solutions for for publishers doing a lot of visualization work and getting um, creative out as quickly as possible. Um, Hannah, I want to pass it over to you. Tell us about yourself. Tell us about HLab and your journey here today. Okay, thanks, Stuart. Um, yeah, it's great to be here today. I'm still quite new to the uh, podcasting, video, marketing side of all of this. Us too. Um, I started, <laughs> yeah, it, it's always good to be involved in these kind of things because we definitely want to do more of this ourselves. So good practice. All right. So I uh, started HLabs and, well, right now it's called Handspring Limited. We cringe out at the name because it was started very, very quickly when I was a freelancer. And I think it was three weeks in, I hired my first freelancer. Uh, so we've kind of grown, you know, exponentially very, very quickly. So we have changed it to HLabs. So that's hlabs.co.uk. Um, it should be out by the time this podcast out. But we started uh, HLabs two and a half years ago. I used to work um, at a no-code platform called Serops. I was a strategist there. And two and a half years ago, just before lockdown, crazy time, um, I left to start my own agency. And my first client being Comley Nast, very, very exciting, biggest publisher on the planet. Um, we wanted to specialise in immersive experiences, interactive experiences for um, publishers in the no-code space. So again, we started the agency because a lot of my frustrations around being a designer in the agency world is seeing how long development cycles took. Um, and I think with no-code tools, we really saw the advantage of streamlining um, the, the the process and, and giving empowerment to the designers. So I went about using the contacts that I had to build up this design agency. So we create interactive experiences from a module level, whether it be a quiz, whether it be a carousel, whether it be sound bites, all the way up to full um, full microsites with multiple pages um, to deliver our content needs, really. So um, I was a designer um, back in the day, so definitely creative first, um, definitely a storyteller, love, love a good story, you know, around with friends and everything. We wanted to bring that in. So working with publishers was that perfect balance of me bringing creative to stories written by their editors um so definitely opening up the services we have in the last two and a half years started with just the kind of sales production um and then we kind of realized this relationship i had with my previous uh company was really really strong and we could continue to grow that so you know it started with one platform we then didn't have to just focus on one platform. It was a really exciting time to look at what no-code tools were on the market, 
And now we have, I think the last time I counted, it's up to six official partnerships, eight not so official yet with contracts, um, sure. but we have referrals from those tools uh, to continue working with our clients, to, depending on whatever tool they want to use. We focus on the creative and the story and deliver it on the tech of their choice. But yes, you're right, Stuart, uh, definitely focused in the publishing space. We're opening that out a little bit more now to outsourcing from other agencies, so bigger agencies than us and using us to help fulfill some of their client work. Um, but yeah, I've talked too much on this intro already. It's definitely creative and story is uh, what we want to work on. Absolutely. And you don't talk too much. Nobody's here to hear me. <laughs> They're here to hear you. And the more, because um, I mean, you've answered my first kind of few questions. So I just kind of want to like jump straight into it. Um, as a developer, primarily, I'm quite fond of code. Um, and I don't necessarily okay. spend a lot of time looking to... Um, understand no code because it's a really different set of tools for solving a really different set of problems of course so i think let's start from fundamentals what do you mean when you say oh we work with no code platforms <laughs> good question and uh, the thing is like we're not trying to write off developers it's definitely not not my goal at all and i think you, you said it there it, there's the right solution for everyone and i think um where the way we talk about no code is design-based solutions that can, can be published onto the web without the need for a developer in that strict sense that we are utilizing tools that have already done all the coding. So there is code in it. It's just we've skipped that stage of it. You know, they've, they've created these tools for us so that you can create the same type of experiences. Yeah, there's limitations, obviously, um, which is where developers are still key in the industry. And I would never take that away. It's just more that for very quick turnaround projects uh, where there are super tight timelines and you might need to get something out in a matter of days, that's when a developer cycle um, with, you know, tickets and bigger asks from a client um, you know, can, can be handled by these no-code platforms. So it's any tool. Um, and we use a range. It, it can be from a design-based platform that lets you have a, you know, from the a microsite at the end of the day, like Squarespace or Wix or one of these quick, easy things that if a client needs their own website that they need to own at the end of it, it could be that. It could also be one of our other kind of more marketing-based tools where it could be creating individual landing pages with a specific topic. So it could be a campaign that's only going to live for six weeks. And obviously you wouldn't want to put a developer on, on that type of project because that that page is going to be done and dusted after that six weeks. So, um, and then we also use no-code tools to make particular functionality much quicker to implement. So we use type form for quizzes um, and surveys, data capture, rather than hard coding in like a lot of data and GDPR settings and all, all of that, that complicated stuff. There are these tools to help designers go, I would love a form, right, I'm going to use that and put that on my site. I'm going to use this plugin to get an Instagram feed. Um, so we try and focus on those short turnaround projects with these tools that have made this all possible for us designers to own what things and things look like. So there's anything Absolutely. that doesn't involve a developer. Great. And I think the key, the key value, I think, from a lot of this is, is reducing that iteration time. You know, like, like you say, like going to specifying a project for a developer particularly a small project like this or like the kind of things you're kind of taking on where it's like a micro site or kind of a couple of landing pages. It can just take so long to go through and like we needed to do exactly this. And then as, you know, as good as you might want to be about getting into like an agile kind of like, okay, we'll do this and do that and do that. It's like actually a lot of the turnaround times on some of these things can be much less than your average sprint. Um, mm -hmm. So it doesn't fit into that kind of space. 
Uh, particularly if you then end up having to waterfall it of like, okay, great, we're going to design all these and then get them signed off and then hand them off and then specify it and then QA. Yeah. It's like really, really, really ramps up the time taken to do to do this kind of work. Um, mm-hmm. So I think they're, they're incredibly valuable for that kind of thing. Um, particularly, I mean, you mentioned there are campaign sites that are maybe only five or six um, weeks long or five or six days in some cases. Can you tell us like a little bit more about those? I think those are the most interesting to me, at least, in yeah. this kind of work. Um, with, with publishers, I think you, you talked about timelines there and iterations and, you know, feedback rounds, right? And I think that is the key thing with us as an agency working with a publisher. And we work particularly with the publisher's commercial teams. So we work with the branded studios where they are going and selling advertorials. Now, you know, there might be glamorous words for it, but it's still an advertorial, right? It's It's still an advert. It's, 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 It's a page which is advertising a particular product or a particular service. And they have sold that in as a campaign. So um, whether you want to call it a campaign page, advertorial, or, you know, paid uh, branded piece of content, um, they have a very short shelf life. And those publishers have their own clients. So we're acting with, you know, that, that middle entity um, and they have to do their rounds of amends with their client as well to take the brief, understand the KPIs, understand what they want from a template. What do they want the functionality of that particular bit of branded content to do? Now, if you put developer you know, input into that mix, you know, you've got two rounds of amends. So every time you're handing something to our client, which is the publisher, they then have to go to their client. So it's very difficult um, for anything to be hard coded in that realm because of the short shelf life and the, and the iterations, as you mentioned. So that, that's why we've found this really super focused niche with branded content um, across the board with these no code tools, because, you know, their clients are very late to the party. Some of the time that the writers are finishing off the story days before it goes live. And, and that's where like the whole topic of conversation might change, you know, like around current events they might have to pivot their messaging they might have to pivot because a project a, a product has sold out for instance so again with these no code tools a lot of the time you can embed the content on the third party publisher page but you can update it using the no code tool and make changes that are live on the site so it just gives a little bit more control back to those editors um and those you know post marketers that sit in the publishers yeah. that want to make last minute changes that their clients want so it yeah. just means that absolutely and then i think too like there's an interesting piece of context here where so i mean me and you have come at this space from a very different side you've come from like publishing background primarily yeah. and i have come from like being a web developer and have moved kind of more towards <laughs> publishing space i remember being a little bit confused as to why some of the clients we were working with had teams that were off building campaign pages for some of their advertisers because it had never occurred to me as like someone coming in or from more of the indie side that you know you would have teams effectively operating as a small agency within the publisher to service their their advertising clients it's such a strange at least from my place at the time i get it now i completely understand it but just for anyone who's listening who doesn't hasn't been in that kind of publishing environment yeah, I think um, it's different from publisher to publisher as yeah, well. And, absolutely. you know, we, we don't want to take away from anything the internal teams are doing either. And our biggest use case is normally, um, you know, I, I think it changed with COVID as well. I, I mean, we don't want to mention that that buzzword anymore, like we want to move on. But um, historically, you're, you know, looking like five, 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 six years ago, publishers would have a branded 
studio. They would have a team in-house that handled all of these requests. And it would be made up of project managers, designers, developers, and all of this. And they were working on their own tech. And and I think the shift, and I mean, it, it works for my business. I mean, COVID hit businesses differently, but you know, these publishers had to make a decision on how much, you know, resource they could keep in-house. And then when there was overflow work, particularly Q4, we know that there's this big sell in, and most of our clients are in the US. So any of the US clients listening, please get in touch. Um, but going into Q4, like it's always a really, really busy period because they're getting to the end of their financial year. They need to sell in more of these campaigns. And if you go through the ebbs and flows, you know, Q1 and Q3 are always a little bit quieter. Mm-hmm. So Q2 and Q4 are always busy. And then they've obviously going to stretch their staff. And that's when people take the most amount of holidays. So it actually came about that most of the publishers were looking for some small agencies. And I was a freelancer for Condé Nast originally, right? So it was kind of like I was the mole inside Condé Nast working on some of these projects. And then obviously they needed more help and said, can you assist with training? And that's how my agency grew. But these agencies like need overflow capacity work. And most of the teams we work with, you know, from timeout, from independent, um, from economists, they've all got fantastic teams in-house that cover you know, 90% of the work. And we've just found that niche of just taking some of the overflow work. And it's the same with some of the agency models we're trying to work on now is that we're not trying to take all of their business away from them. They're the specialists in their area. It's just more some of the overflow work where capacity is an issue. That's where my team can step in with two days notice, take up a project and deliver it within the week. Um, So Publishers, to get back to the question, because I, I tend to go on a tangent all the time. Absolutely fine. But I saw the question. Uh, publishers normally have these branded content teams in-house working with their own clients as an agency themselves, really, um, to deliver content. So to say it's like an influencer campaign. It could be Vogue and Gucci uh, working together, and it could be a new product line has come out. They're, you know, wanting to showcase the beautiful fashion or the beautiful, um, you know, perfumes or the beautiful beauty products. But they need to talk about it in an editorial way. But obviously, because that's highlighting one particular brand, that's where you have the branded content or the advertorial kind of label put on it. And you have to let the, you know, audience know that with product placement in TV advertising between the tv shows you love uh, and again with instagram they have to say if it's paid content and we have to be really careful about you know that side of it that there is a clear definition so all of these publishers have like normally the little badges in the top corner or on the top with the branded logo to know that you know they paid for that bit of content so it is advertising um but it's just done in that storytelling fashion that you're you're reading a great story to then learn about the product which is what i love um, i couldn't do advertising quite in the sort of tv realm of kind of it hit you in the face as a consumer it's much more tied up with with storytelling which is what i love great so then aside from kind of those like brand pages and kind of micro sites and things like that one of the things you mentioned was um interactivity and kind of visualizations mm-hmm. and building building that kind of thing into sites um you know almost kind of data viz i think is kind of the way yeah. we're looking at this word for it yeah, yeah data viz <laughs> um, which i think is incredibly interesting particularly you know with some of these kind of bigger groups that have time and budget and they're just putting out the written text yeah. um is that can you tell us a little bit about that if you yeah, like so for, for most of our publishers, we try and work with them and their sales team and their editorial teams to see what their clients are hungry for. And normally it falls within certain KPIs and that's the sensible yep. way of doing it. 
Um, and if we take three, I mean, there's, for some clients, there's more uh, breakdown of content types than they do. Uh, but if we take um, top three, it would be shop, which, again, very, very easy to understand. You read a story, it might be talking around a lipstick or a new coat or, or something like that. Very understandable that that's the KPI. And they want the click-throughs to go to their site where the, the consumer can go, I've read this story, now I want to buy the product. Um, so what we might do in that sense um, is bring in a module it could be a shoppable grid it could be beautiful images or a lookbook or it could be a swatched picker to change the color of the jacket or the shoe or the lipstick um, and then you can purchase the product but that would all sit under that kind of shop kpi we've also got um like modules or landing pages that you can create um where you want to help define a little bit more it's a bit like more of a further reading or it's yep. like an educational learn more about this particular thing and we see this more in the travel industry that it could be that we're working with Condé Nast Traveller or Time Out or Atlas Obscura and all of those clients just want to raise awareness for a particular place so it could be that we've got an interactive map which is saying okay click on these different location points and it might tell you a different attraction to go see um, or again it could be a road trip it could be following an influencer um, you know, around the country and showing video clips or or imagery from certain places, but you're going on that journey with them. So that's another another type in that in that set. And um, and then we also have like a kind of personalization kind of KPI where you want to find out something about the user. Um, and this is where type form is a brilliant one. It can just sit in your existing article and just be a little little quiz at the end. And anyone can pick this up on your own blogs. I mean, we we try and do this to get information from our clients. Um, but it could be that you use a data survey, a quiz or something to find out something about your audience. So you might do a what personality type are you? So if you're trying to, if we go back to the, the fashion one or the beauty one, what type of person are you? And then you might get reflected um, a look or a particular shade or a particular refinement on those products based on your your choices and again they can then look at the analytics and say okay well 50 percent have chosen a darker skin tone or a darker hair type or, or things like that so that personalization and quiz logic even though you're just clicking some answers to some very you know fun questions and um, it does give you know the publisher some information about their audience as well so yeah. there's there's lots of things that we take into consideration um but we try and match the client's needs with the functionality type to make sure it's really suitable for yeah. that kpi to you know to track Absolutely. after i see these quizzes um coming up more and more and more so not necessarily your kind of buzzfeed from four or five years ago which <laughs> yeah. which x of subset y are you but even just little inline quizzes be like um i read a lot of games journalism as a kind of bit of a nerd oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you see a lot of like oh which of these the following games are you most excited about coming out in the next the next year and i'm like all right well that's i mean that's interesting like as someone who has been around to like see and implement these things i've been like cool that's just a bit of research to see what the group should be publishing and covering in the next three months but also mm -hmm. like there are opportunities for that to be passed like to programmatic as part of a data profile assuming you've got all the the correct consent <laughs> so things like that are not just the value that it provides in the moment but actually it can help build up that understanding of the audience from yeah. Yeah, an advertising perspective and a and an editorial like okay what content should we be we'd be looking at i think mm -hmm. it's We've, we've, found, we've found actually a lot of our corporate clients. So I, I know I'm talking about a lot of the consumer facing publishers, right? Like Condé that are the magazine side of things. 
We also work with a lot of publishers that work in the B2B space. Um, and I think those publishers, um, we work with one called Incisive, we work with Haymarket, um, and the Economist. Um, like that, those particular ones that are focusing on businesses or business owners, um, some of the surveys they're doing behind the, the scenes, that's not done by us, yeah. but they're doing a lot of research studies and a lot of more long reads in the form of um, thought leadership. Right. Yep. So they might put a survey out and then the data viz <laughs> comes back into it where we are showing pie charts or bar charts or, you know, demographic split on information. So a lot of the work we do as well is making a long read thought leadership piece much more interesting and digestible. Because if you read like, you know, I think some of the pieces we're dealing with wired consulting, you know, can be up to 7000 words. They're, yep. they're a, you know, it's a very long bit of content. So we're bringing illustration into that animation we're bringing uh you know animated pie charts and bar graphs and stuff just to bring it to life a little bit and yeah. um, just because if you're looking through a very dry report with tables of numbers it's still about making things as visual as possible um so sometimes you know it can just be visualizing a chart and i think as, as a real baseline that that doesn't need development or no code but if you're thinking about your blog content it's about injecting visuals into it even if it's a static jpeg from excel that's still better than having the data just written in a text box. absolutely so. <laughs> I think that's great. Um, then, I mean, that's kind of where these these platforms are now. Um, where do you think no code is kind of going in the next six months? Like, what do you think is, is oh, up and coming question. for you? Oh, what a question! I think um, what there's a bit of a side note. Um, last mm-hmm. Thursday and Friday, I was in Amsterdam on our first team offsite, which very exciting uh you know turn of events for the company um so we took everyone out had a really fun time but i also had uh two tickets for me and my design director to go to the awards conference um in amsterdam last week and it really showed the kind of future of the web looking at web3 looking at webgl looking at animation how to bring 3d into your designs and i think the no code tools need to keep up with that like they they need to be you know, helping designers be able to do all of those amazing things without having that developer know-how. Because, you know, we saw so many talks. I think I sat through 20 talks and there were trends coming across, you know, the there was dev talks as well. You know, the WebGL animation stuff was just absolutely beautiful. And as a designer right now using this code, I don't feel I can quite tap into, you know, that that high-end kind of web design. And I'm really hoping that the the no-code tools you know at least develop along with it and one of our partners um it was called wirewax it does interactive video they've recently been bought out by vimeo um which is which is really cool and they've made a kind of lower price point for enterprise clients to 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 jump on to vimeo and add uh like call to actions at the end of their videos so instead of like getting everyone's attention in the first six seconds and then getting to the end of the video and going like, oh, it's rolled on to the next, you can actually just add a call to action. Like if you like this video, get in touch. And I think there needs to be more easy access points like that, that the no-code tools are picking up. And I think at the moment we use a range of tools. It could be that uh, one of Seros's products um, is called Chart Blocks and you can do interactive uh, graphs. And you, you can get that as an iframe. Um, and put it into your blog if you want um, but you can also put it in sales and I think there needs to be some like cross population I think I, I think there's smarter and devs 
make this happen, right? You, you have developers going, oh, I see a need there. How can I create new software or how can I create new integration ways of working? And, we, you know, we've even found it with things like Unito, like Zapier, linking our, you know, project management tools to Slack, you know, e- even some of that stuff. Super Debbie, it needed developers to make that stuff happen, but we're just reaping the benefits of improved efficiency or improved workflow, or you know, we can take on more projects because of it. So I think um integrations is a is a massive one. Um I think what is interesting for your space as well, Stuart. So we'll probably have to take this offline, but a lot of the no-code tools are now the, the one disadvantage they have is because they don't have back-end CMS. And I know two of our partners are looking into that to, to look at how, at a basic level, how do you create a collection of content that the client can update and keep update after updated after you've launched a site. Yeah. So I think, you know, the the future of the web, they need to take in all of these small things and just make it more usable for their, their audience using these code, the, these no-code tools, because the whole point is it makes it easier. And if you're missing out on some features, um, with developers then they'll go to the developers and say can you bolt this on whereas i think the no-code tools need to stay one step ahead and go what are the easy wins like what are the web geo animations we can bring in what are the things as standard that people want to use all the time like parallax for instance like some of the some of the tools do it some of the tools don't some of the tools do it but it's very difficult to do it (laughs) kind of thing Uh, so again it's like different levels i think and they need to look at and without basing it on trends uh they, they need to be looking at what the top end developers are doing on all of these award-winning sites and find the little small bits that people can apply um, in their own way, I think. Absolutely. Does that answer your question? It does, very much. (laughs) Um, So again, I've got one kind of thing I want to come back to here because I know there'll be a few people listening to us that are very much like like me and our developers and might be a little hostile to the concept. Okay, (laughs) yep. Um, And I just want to kind of, cover off some things kind of within that and i'm not oh cool yeah and i don't think you are saying like no code should eat everything and do everything absolutely there's a time and a place for for those tools Mm -hmm. um and particularly if things don't need to have a lot of longevity so everything you are saying here i feel at least is like these are short-term things that need quick turnaround rather Mm -hmm. than someone's infrastructural basis of their oh 100 and and I think for, for, for me personally, um, I used to work at an agency called Born and we were creating e-commerce CMS driven sites. They were built for longevity. It was site Born core, in Glasgow. Like, I, they might have one in Glasgow now. There was Born one group. many anyway. years ago. Born in Cargo, I think they were called. Anyway, sorry, um, I might edit that. Yeah, it's, it was e-commerce agency. But again, it was focused, you know, much around like we had to design every single page, every yeah. part of the user journey. It was for Sitecore or Drupal or Magento, you know, all of those big ones. And yeah. if, if a client comes to us and says, oh, we want to do a whole microsite with a shop and all, we're like, no, 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 this, this isn't for you. And I will definitely turn away from work like that that needs that specific skill set um i also think like for any of the the haters out there i know you're not hates but again like it's a, like, like for people that are worried or like feel threatened by it i think what's also really interesting is that i now have um we've got two to two developers on the team at the moment um and we worked on a project last year that the no code tools couldn't do we kind of 
you know, factored it in. Um, we did a partnership piece between Burton Snowboards and and Red Bull. And it, they wanted to have like an interactive WebGL timeline that was like in a 3D space where you scroll through the, the different snowboards. And, you know, we wanted the front end of it to be Webflow. We pushed it to every nth of the degree, but the back end was all uh, coded by a developer in WebGL. We hosted it on GitHub, pulled it in. I mean, if someone looked at that project, they would probably like want to tear their hair out and go, how did you get to this point? Because you've stitched quite a few things together. Um, but it, we, we showed it to Webflow and they were like, oh my God, you nearly broke Webflow, but this is amazing. Like you've shown us how to put code into this tool to do something different. And I think there is still room for innovation there, but, you know, it's it's saving time for developers to do really mundane stuff like hover states and adding Lottie files and, you know, looking at the kind of text hierarchies and things on the page, like that kind of stuff takes time. And if you're reducing the time for that and allowing the developer to focus on the super cool bits, the trendy animations, the, you know, flipping things around, adding, you know, really bespoke interactions or data capture or things like that, it doesn't have to be like a this or this. It can be, why don't you add your skill set to that to make something amazing? Um, and But yeah, the the no code of the first conversation I have with any client that doesn't use any of them, I'm like, do you actually just need a proper site? Like, because <laughs> we'll do the design and hand it off to a development agency. So that's still no code if we're designing and handing it to a developer. That's okay. In a way, I just yeah. don't want to. <laughs> I, I just don't want to build anything from scratch, right? So absolutely. But there's room. There's room for all. You know types of development in this process it's just we as a design team have found our little niche and we're staying in there yep. you know come back in a year i might have changed and got a whole dev team like who, who knows who knows <laughs> but again i think it's it's looking at things in like in the right context because if you look at it in a certain way it's just like any other content management system that you would yeah. take and install and then you spend your time doing the 80 to 90 percent of things that it doesn't do out of the box Mm-hmm. you know and there's there's a way of thinking about it like that way it's just we need to as an industry understand how how to extend things like like webflow mm-hmm. um to be able to get get what you want out of it but like you said there's time to place the right tool for the right job um, exactly exactly you mentioned tools a lot there for i suppose anyone who's looking to start experimenting in the no code space um, obviously they should come and speak to you first and foremost <laughs> save themselves yep, the time <laughs> but do you have any kind of like good good starting points for people who are looking to get their feet wet yeah i think in the storytelling space which is where our expertise are um there are probably like four main players and mm-hmm. there's different price points there's different access things um just to talk through the partners that we've got, right? ReadyMag is very editorial focused. They want you to create your portfolio site in there. It's it's the lowest price point. You even can have a free version of it. Like you can create any amount of pages that you want. You can either have it scrolling or slide by slide. But for student access, I teach ReadyMag at Westminster and at Conlon S College. And because it's got a very... Even if you've had no experience, even if you've just used PowerPoint for a bit, you can jump into there and actually start to see the kind of traits of designing a website, like there's H1, H2, H3, H4, body copy, you know, there's templates in there. You can add widgets, so you can drag and drop things onto the page to create carousels, to add videos, uh, to add images in the background and sticky nav, things like that. So that one, if you if you want to just play around and you're a designer that you just want to, you know, create something on the web, that one's the easiest point. 
We then have like a couple in the middle, which is Seros, the last company I worked with, uh, and Zev, both partners now. Um, and they do this kind of advertorial long page that you can embed into existing CMS. Um, you can do your own microsites with them, but their their specialty is really injecting very short, short-term content, campaign-specific stuff into a site that already exists. So the Seros, uh, you know, Red Bull's our biggest you know, client to show these stories off, and Economist, it's the same ones that we're helping with, with that. Uh, and then Webflow, we are using for that kind of crossover that's kind of in the middle where I have Webflow developers. My designers wouldn't be able to just pick it up and run with it. You do need a developer head on you to work out the functionality. It has a lot more wording and kind of system like asset class like class i mean i'm doing this as disservice because i'm not a developer but class systems and all of the labeling and the, the the page structure is really really important um and that would be the one where you could create a multi-page site it has got limited cms functionality and it has got an editor view that you can go in and change some of the copy but if you're you know if we were handing over something you know we had a client last year it was a, an agency called our media and we got a brief through uh, to design something for a shopping mall. They wanted to have pages about fashion, beauty, interiors to promote some of the products. And they wanted you to be able to add it to a shopping basket, not to, to not to purchase, but they wanted to promote a um, personal shopper where you could, you know, create a little pack of things that you liked and then your personal shopper would be able to take that and um, give you a personalized service now that you couldn't do that on no code tools at all so we designed we went through that with them they came to us thinking it was going to be a certain platform and we were like no 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 (laughs) basket functionality you know bookmarking items you know updating products every six months this is this is not a no code thing so we designed uh, in Figma, we designed some beautiful wireframes for them, did the visual design, and then they partnered with a development agency to build the CMS and the functionality on from it. So I think, you know, there's a whole range there. And I think there's there's CMS systems that we all know about, like WordPress, that have got plugins that are no code. So yep. Elementor or Divi or, you know, some of the things that can shortcut some of some of the glossy bits you know are there too so i think you know whether you're coming here from a designer and just want to play around ready mag might be a tool for you if you're a developer wanting to save some time and sort of be more design focused but you've got that developer background webflow might be for you and if you're a wordpress you know developer again there's elementor and things like that that can help designers edit things with you and collaborate to make that design and developer relationship much stronger so I'm, I'm hoping that covers a, a, a bit of a broad really? spectrum and I haven't missed out any of my partners that will get upset. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Do you want to get that? <laughs> cool. Um, Anna, just keeping an eye on the time. Thank you very much um, for all we've kind of been through today. Um, where can people find out some more about yourself and HLabs if they want to? Um, yeah, great. Thank you for asking. Um, so as we said, we're in the process of going through a name change. I'm hoping by the time this airs, it will be hlabs.co.uk. Um, but if not, um, please find us on handspringit.com. That'll be my personal site going forward. You can also find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm active on there. We post all the time, loads of stuff around the team. Um, but yeah, there's, there's no like kind of big Twitter feed or Instagram right now. Um, but watch this space is coming. So hlabs.co.uk. Absolutely. And we will link that down below, um, as best we can, depending where you're reading or reading, (laughs) listening or watching, watching this again. Anna, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, uh, please subscribe. Scale is available in all usual podcast places. Even better, 
Uh, if you could leave us a review, that really helps us. If you're interested in finding out more about me or Powered by Coffee, you can find us on social media. And again, in all the usual places, links are in the show notes. Scale is currently going to kind of come out every two weeks and we will see you then.